morning. I invite you to open up to John chapter 19. We're going to be beginning at the first verse. John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of a Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her home to his own home. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. 
A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather here this morning to, to study your word, Lord. And I thank you for the finished work on the cross, Lord, paying the debt that we could not, so that we could have a right relationship with you, Lord. And so as we dig into your word this morning, Lord, I pray your anointing on Jackie, Lord. I pray that you'd fill his mouth with the words that we need to hear this morning, Lord. And I pray that we would have ears to hear and a heart to understand, Lord. I pray that you would be glorified and magnified, receiving all praise, Lord. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I, I want to invite you just for a moment <clears throat> to uh, turn to Psalm 22 with me, and we're going to take a look at that. It's not in my notes, I just did it, so in the back they're scrambling, what did he just do? <laughs> this, is, this is life with the preacher, sorry. <laughs> Psalm 22, we're going to be looking at Psalm 22 today. We're going to look at Isaiah 53 and John 19 because I want you to understand that what is happening to Jesus is not plan B. It's not an afterthought. It is the purpose of God. Peter, when he preaches the first message of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, he tells everyone that's gathered there together that you, your People, the high priests, the Sanhedrin, did what God ordained from the beginning of time. God didn't absolve them of their guilt. They did what they wanted to do. But he said this was the purpose. This morning we sang songs about victory and we sang songs about, about Christ being our hope and that we don't have to be afraid. <clears throat> and the whole story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is God illustrating for us taking all of our horrors upon himself. Yes, Jesus is taking our sin, but I'm, I'm speaking of the things we're afraid of. You know, those things that when you're at home, you're, you run over in your mind, what if this happens and you keep playing that tape over and over again until it, you drive yourself a little loopy. Maybe I'm the only one who ever does that. <clears throat> but those are our fears. Those are, that's what I call our horrors. Jesus, the illustration of the crucifixion, is a horror on display. Absolute horror put on display. And a lot of times, our very struggle with life is struggling in putting our hope in Christ, putting our fear in Christ, and realizing our victory in Christ. And all of those things are accomplished for us at the cross. Most of the time when we're struggling, I'm just going to say me, most of the time when I'm struggling with my fear about what ifs 
and things that are going on, the, the things that I run through my mind, most of the time when I'm struggling in that, Christ is not anywhere in it. It's usually the people, the guilty parties, the people who may be involved, and it's all those things and all the fear that comes as a result of those ideas, those fears, those concerns, and what I'm not expressing in that moment is hope in Christ, uh, my fear in Christ, uh, I don't have Christ, the victory of Christ, I, I have removed all of that out of the equation, and now I'm left with just the horror of what ifs. And I want you to know that Jesus died so you didn't have to live that way. He died to save us from our sin. I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I'm going to, I want to plug that in, but I, I just want you to understand we don't have to live in a place of fear, lack of trust, trepidation, um, that somehow the horrors of life are going to destroy me or they're going to destroy the ones I love or what if this happens or what if that happens. You don't have to live in that place because Christ won the victory and if we will trust him, we don't have to be afraid. In Psalm 22, it begins like this, To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. This psalm's written 800 years before crucifixion is invented. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day. You do not answer by night. I find no rest. Yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me to trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help me. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. 
But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows will I perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of earth will eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. As David penned this psalm during his reign, prophetically speaking of what Christ would endure on the cross and the results of it, that God has not forgotten the affliction of the afflicted. The Lord knows the things we're afraid of, the horrors that we have. When we look at our nation or you look at your family, have you paid attention? The entire uh, focus of the world globally, I'm not talking about the United States, the entire focus of the world is the destruction of the family. It is to destroy the, the concept of, of a man and a woman and children being raised together, which is the first government God established, the family. In an effort to shore up what, I don't know, but maybe you guys don't see it, but literally every show I watch, the dad is the first guy who's portrayed as stupid. Maybe the mom is given a little bit of, of leeway, but certainly parents are put down and honestly, what we really need to do is have children just do what they want to do in their hearts. It'll all be okay. And, and that's really how they should find their way to anywhere. And, um, and ultimately, they should be, even as Plato described all those centuries back in Greece, all children should be wards of the state because we can't trust parents to raise them. That's... That is happening all around us. And if our fears are for our family or the destruction of the core of our family or our fears are what can happen to them or our fears are what's going to happen to us, the scripture would declare that Christ took all that 
He bore it. He, he bore it so that you and I would not have to be afraid of it. I am not saying you won't go through it. I'm saying you won't have to be afraid of it. Because your hope is in Christ. You've cast your fear at his feet. And he has won the victory. There is no thing that we can endure that God does not give us the ability to overcome. There's no thing. John chapter 19 verse 1 begins with a very simple phrase. You see it? Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. <clears throat> there were three different type of beatings that the Romans delivered. And there's no end to the speculation of which one Jesus received. And there's a, a lot of different reasons why smart people will argue about it until Jesus comes back. And then he can tell us which one. But the point is that he was brought as an innocent man, remember we just ended, he was declared innocent. Pilate just declared him innocent. And then he delivered him to the, the flagellation. He delivered him to the post where he would be tied and where he would be scourged. And ultimately he scourged until the Roman soldiers, whoever were given the uh, task to do it, are tired of scourging him. There's no 39 lashes. That doesn't exist in the Roman world. They just beat you till they were, were tired of beating you. The goal ultimately in this day is to deliver him to the cross. And so the, the goal of the soldiers was probably not to beat him to death. However, occasionally Romans did that. And we ask ourselves, why? Why does he have to go through the scourging? Why is this event is recorded in all the Gospels? Why is this part of it because he is bearing our horrors do you ever wonder the evil man can do to man there's no end what horrific things has man done to man and here symbolically we see all of those things applied to God whom at one time or another Throughout human history, man has blamed God for it in the first place. Well, Lord, why would you let this happen? You must not be a good God, because if you were a good God, you would stop this. Or you must not be an all-powerful God, because an all-powerful God who was good would put an end to this. You know, all those things presuppose that we are the authority on what is good or what is powerful. And last I checked, our history is not all that good neither. When we look at it, the Lord, the Lord is granting, showing, uh, uh, illustrating for us that the brokenness of man caused by sin that has sent mankind on a torrential uh, avalanche of debauchery is going to be bore. By his son to make a way to pave the way for you and I so Jesus is going to say from the cross Eloi Eloi lama sabachthani my God my God 
Why have you forsaken me? And we will wonder about that phrase. But if we look at Psalm 22, we can understand the thoughts in the mind of Christ on the cross. The very words people will mock him with are quoted in Psalm 22. Before Rome existed. He goes on in verse 2, it says that the soldiers, they twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and they arrayed him in a purple robe and they came up and they said, Hail the king of the Jews. They struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find him innocent. That is the justice of men. Man, why is the number one film in movie history uh, tend to be revenge movies? You know, it's the age-old story, right? Somebody, something bad happens to somebody, the princess gets locked in the tower, whatever. The brave prince, he fights through all the bad guys to deliver her, or he gets vengeance for whatever was done to her this is the justice of man we want by man man to pay but the problem is all men are guilty all men are guilty we we can sit from our high towers and we can proclaim guilt on whoever you want but while you're doing it you are also need to be understanding you're proclaiming guilt upon yourself you are guilty too oh it may not be the same thing it may be the same thing. Jesus Christ came and bore that. He bore the mockery. They took the creator of the universe, they, they put a, a scarlet robe on him. We don't know what this is. Probably, most likely, it was a rug on the floor of the praetorium. A rug that people walked on. You know, that, that a lot of, there was a lot of red and gold in in Rome colors, right? If you were decorating a house, these are the things that you would put up. Roman soldiers didn't just walk around with scarlet robes. You understand that, right? They're not, hey, I brought a scarlet robe to work today in case I need it. No. So they're, they're beating him, they're beating Christ, and then they look around and they go, oh, let's make him a king. And so they pick up this rug and they throw it over his shoulders. They grab a crown of thorns. They smash it down on his head. They mock him. All hail the king of the Jews. This is the creator of the universe bearing the horrors of mankind, all of the horrors of mankind, so you, in Christ, can have victory. So you, in Christ, can have hope. So you, in Christ, can have deliverance from your fear. He took it all. Pilate brings him out. He ushers him back out before the people. says, see, I am bringing to you an innocent man who I have bloodied, who we have mocked, who we have beaten. So Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Eke homo. Behold the man. There's an arch in Jerusalem they call the Echihomo Arch where, where many people believe they brought Christ out under this arch at the beginning of the Via Della Rosa. 
to proclaim before the mob, behold the man. Some people think maybe Pilate was trying to uh, uh, satisfy the, the appetite of the madness of the crowd. But if you pay attention to the news, you should recognize there's no such thing as satisfying the appetite of the crowd. There is no end to what we will do. In a, in a mankind in a rage will burn down his neighbor's business and not even think twice about it. The same place in his neighborhood where he shopped. Because he's driven by the horrors that man has done to man, the fear of the world we live in, the struggle that we have being afflicted people in our affliction. To me, it's a great way of saying broken people acting out their brokenness. And so, he is brought out here, the floor of the Antonio Fortress, one of my favorite places to go is uh, uh, Sisters of Zion Covent, Covent in Jerusalem. They, we walk through that door and you'll find yourself in a, in a place with all these smooth stones. Now, that's not where those stones were. Jerusalem's been destroyed, and, but these are the stones from the Praetorium. This is the way the Praetorium was, was fixed. These are the stones from that place. We know it because the Roman soldiers when they would play games with prisoners, would scratch the games into the stone. And so, for a thousand, two thousand years, evidence of the games they played with Christ has been etched in the stones. So you can see the round piece and the pie-shaped wedges and the place that they would cast die and they would move a piece and it would say, crown of thorns, and they put a thorn on his head. Or they would say, clothe him as a king, and they clothe him as a king. The games they played. Evidence of those games etched in the stone. So 2,000 years later, pilgrims can stand over that stone and wonder if this stone was witness to the blood of Christ. But it certainly is witness to the horrors of men. David wrote, right, in Psalm 22, I am a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. The very words of the mockery Jesus received at the foot of the cross, according to the Gospels. John 19, 6, it says, Now when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Take him yourselves and crucify him. For I find no guilt in him. Again, another proclamation of innocence. Part of the concept of the atonement of Christ is the idea that Jesus is sinless. You need to understand, historically, Jesus was killed for being an innocent man. He was killed and declared innocent. Multiple times by multiple people. Which is exactly what God said the lamb had to be, without spot or blemish. Perfect. If it was to atone for the sin of the guilty. So here, he is once again declared, I find no fault in him. The Jews answered 
and said, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself to be the Son of God. So if you want to say, well, what is he guilty of? He's guilty of proclaiming himself to be God in the flesh. The title, the ancient title, the Son of God in Jewish thought was twofold. One, God in the flesh. Two, the King. And so here, Jesus is being crucified. What's it going to say over his cross? The King of the Jews. Seven times the Gospels refer to the fact that he was an innocent man. It says in verse 8, now when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Pilate's starting to freak out. Why is Pilate freaking out? Because, because Pilate is a pagan. For a Jew, Jews, Jews don't believe that, that God's going to come visit them, even though the Old Testament is wrought with pictures of God coming and visiting them. Right? If you're a student of the Old Testament, you should be aware of multiple times where God revealed himself to his people when, when they met him, when they said, my eyes have seen the king of glory, they, they proclaimed this, this reality. Well, in the pagan world, they had tons of stories about the gods visiting people and people mistreating the gods and then the gods bringing judgment. So here Pilate is and they say, no, we're going to kill him because he said he's God. And it freaks Pilate out a little bit. Because he's just spent the last couple of hours with him. You don't think Pilate is saying, you're not like anybody I've ever seen before? You don't answer questions like anybody I've ever seen before? You just endured a, a scourging? I don't know how, how he was through that, but whatever it was, I know what the centurion and the soldiers who beat him are going to say. What are they going to say? At the, at the cross and at the foot of the cross of the one that they've abused for the last several hours, they're going to declare, surely he was the Son of God. That's their eyewitness account of the events. So the Bible says Pilate is afraid. He's afraid. When he heard this statement, he was more afraid. He entered into his headquarters. He brings Jesus in. So they're in the praetorium. You remember last time, the holy people wouldn't come into the praetorium because they didn't want to be defiled for the Passover. So they are waiting outside. So he brings Jesus back inside, not just in the courtyard, into his office. And Pilate said to him, where are you from? Why is he asked that question? Because he wants to know, are, are you God? Are you a God coming to, to see us, to visit us? Where are you from? But Jesus gives no answer. Because the Bible says in Isaiah 53, we'll read it in an hour and a half, hopefully. <laughs> Isaiah 53 says, like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And so he doesn't respond to Pilate. So Pilate said, you're not going to speak to me? Do you not know I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? You want victory over your fears. Jesus opened his mouth and said, You have no authority except that which comes from God. 
you have no authority except that which comes from God. Do you believe that God is moving in your life? Do you believe that God is orchestrating the events of your life? The reason we can have victory even in the horrible events of our life is because we believe no one has authority over us but God. And God is good. And he's not going to bring evil upon me for evil's sake. Whatever God allows into my life is for my good and his glory. It is for my good, his glory. But I never have those ideas in my head when I'm worried. I never have those ideas in my head when things are rolling through about questions I don't understand or things that I think are going on. I, don't, I, I just assume that the whole world is broken and everybody's doing their broken thing. And if I don't take this into my own hands and somehow redeem it myself, then it's all going to fall apart. And all the while, the father was saying to the son, I got this. The son said to the father, if there be any other way, I, it would be great if I could pass this cup off to somebody else. But nevertheless, it's not what I want, but it's, what, it's your will. Your will be done. What did Jesus do? He trusted his father in what? The most horrific thing man could do to man, he endured. You and I can't begin to fathom it because we only see it in human terms. There's nothing I could do. If a bunch of strong men grabbed me, drugged me off someplace, you know, maybe when I was in a Marine Corps, I might be able to bloody somebody, but now I'm not bloodying nobody. <laughs> I, everything hurts. They grab me, drag me off in the corner, beat me, do your thing. You know, what am I going to do? I'm not going to do nothing. I have no power to do anything. I'm at the mercy of the madness of the crowd. But Christ has more power in the little hair on the back of his head than any one of those people doing any one of those things. Yet, he laid all that aside and said, I trust you, Father. He could have, according to Colossians, just stopped holding those people together and they would melt. But he didn't do that. He trusted the Father, endured the cross, despising the shame for the glory that was set before him. Now, if you have a mirror, hold it up. And look into it, because you are the glory that he endured the cross for. You are a trophy of the grace of God, bought by the blood of Christ. You. 
he saw you and endured the cross, despising the shame. He saw the glory. Revelation chapter, I want to say Revelation chapter 7, uh, when you have the, the vision of the 144,000, and John turns and looks, and he sees uh, men and women from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, a number that can't be numbered. The souls of all who will be saved. That's what Jesus sees as he endures the cross. So Jesus responds to him. He responds to Pilate. You have no authority except what has been given to you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me. This is Jesus quieting Pilate's spirit. I don't know if you've ever noticed that before. Pilate's anxious. Jesus doesn't absolve Pilate of sin. But he says, therefore, he who delivered me to you has a greater sin. Pilate's freaked out, but the high priest orchestrated so many events in order to take Jesus to the cross. Jesus said, don't worry, the one who delivered me to you, he has more guilt. You often ask the question, we, we say things all the time in Christendom that are really meaningless, like all sins the same. What? Well, it's all sin, truly, it's all sin. But the punishment that comes is different. It's not all the same in the eyes of God. He just told Pilate, you're less guilty than the high priest. Now, you're both guilty. And the end of being put in a place... Uh, with the absence of God cast into hell, that, that doesn't seem good for, for anybody. Well, it's not all the same. Any more than every believer is the same. The Bible's full of passages that talk about greater and lesser reward. You remember the, the parable of the talent. One guy was given more, received more. One guy was given less. He received a reward, but it's less of a reward. One guy utterly fails and all his reward is given to another. He who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. So Pilate immediately leaves that place and sought to release him. Once again, he's innocent. We've got to let him go. And so the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. The madness of the crowd crying out so Pilate begins to be afraid he's afraid politically he's afraid of what's going on and he's going to surrender to the madness of the crowd the madness of the crowd or one there's one thing I can guarantee the madness of the crowd is never right and the wrath of man according to scripture will never accomplish the righteousness of God The wrath of man will never accomplish the righteousness of God. And so, Pilate seeking to release him, but hearing these political words, when he heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, or in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, so he said to the Jews, now he's mad at them, so he's going to 
He's going to take a couple shots at them. He says, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Normally, you know what a chief priest would say? We have no king but Yahweh. But they throw all that out. Caesar's our king. They align themselves with mankind and the horrors of mankind. And they choose to crucify Jesus Christ. The chief priest answered, no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. In Mark uh, 15, uh, verses 6 through 15, is another uh, um, description of, of, of following the madness of the crowds and the failure to stop the injustice that was going on. And Pilate's discussion beginning in verse 9 says, He answered him and said, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd and to, to have him released to them Barabbas instead. So Pilate said, then what shall I do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out, crucify him. And Pilate said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas, scourged Jesus, and delivered him up to be crucified. So verse 17 of John, it says, And so he went out bearing his cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Golgotha. Long time ago, <laughs> I had a beautiful Harley. I have a beautiful Harley now. It's true. But this was the first one. And it had skulls all over it. And I had a friend who was a bit of an artist with metalwork build me a, a plate that I could put on the on the back of the of the sissy bar in the back, which was a picture uh, of Golgotha. Because I would often get asked questions about the bike. And people would talk to me about skulls on the bike. And I would say, well, you know what those skulls represent, don't you? Those skulls represent the place where my Savior died. He died at the place called the skull. He bore the price. He bore the price for my sin at a place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. It says, there they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And Pilate wrote an inscription and he put it on the cross. Yeshua ha-Nazaret ve-Melech al-Yehudum. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. We talked about this before. The... He wrote it in three languages, Aramaic, Greek, Latin. You guys give me a test later. I'll read it in a minute, and then I'll say, yeah, those three. 
And uh, as he wrote those out, it's interesting because Aramaic and, and Hebrew are very similar. Very, very similar letters. In fact, most of the uh, ancient Near Eastern ancient languages follow a lot of the same uh, um, descriptions anyways. And as, they, as he lays this out for them, I told you last time, it creates an acrostic. The goal is not the acrostic. Nobody's meaning to do the acrostic. But you have an acrostic on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, that is the tetragrammaton. It is Y-H-V-H, Y-H-W-H. It's V and W are the same letter. They're, they're not a distinction in, in uh, Hebrew or Aramaic. So on the cross above his head is the name Yahweh. And the chief priests, and the, and the, uh, they, they get upset. No, 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 don't write that. Because for them, I know a lot of people say, oh, come on, Jackie. Are they, would they even notice the acrostic? You and I probably wouldn't because in our world it's not that way. But do you know how much of their writing was done in acrostic? You know how many of the psalms are acrostic psalms? You know how many times in the middle of a prophecy given by a prophet that the prophecy is given as an acrostic? You know how many times that their minds would be thinking about what do these letters say? They killed him because he said, he is Yahweh in the flesh. And they put above his cross, Yahweh. And they nailed him to it between two thieves. Now, actually, I shouldn't say that. Between two robbers. The Bible talks about two different kinds of criminals when it comes to theft. Thieves and robbers. Thieves are those who break in and steal. Thieves are sneaky. You don't see a thief. That's how he is a good thief. Robber is someone who mugs you. A mugger. A robber don't care if you see him. A robber comes at you with a bat, beats you, and takes your stuff. So it says that these two guys are robbers. One on either side of them. So these guys are guilty of beating people uh, if they're being crucified. They either beat the wrong person or they killed somebody. And so they're being crucified during Passover. So somebody somewhere is really mad at those guys, right? And so in between them, we have Jesus Christ. When we come to the place of the skull, there's a lot of things that we want to be able to identify from this place to understand why is it called the skull? Why is this the symbol? Why is a cross a symbol? It's like a, an implement of torture. And these things are symbols of what Christ did because he took all the stuff we're afraid of. He took it all. So you don't have to be afraid. In Christ, you don't have to be afraid. He has won the victory. You don't have to be afraid of skulls. He died at the place called the skull. You don't have to be afraid of robbers. He was put between two robbers on the cross. And those two guys have their sin upon them and in them. And in the midst of them is <coughs> Jesus Christ who has no sin in him, but upon him 
he has the sin of the world. John writes us that. First John declares, he has become our propitiation. He is our sin sacrifice. He bore our sin. And those two thieves are going to argue with him, right? And they're going to mock him. And then eventually one of them guys is going to say to the other one, don't you fear God? He could tell in the interaction that they were having that there was something different about Jesus. And he's going to say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And in that moment, there's not going to be any sin on that robber. There's still sin in him, but it's not going to be on him. And when they pass from life to death and they stand together in his kingdom, according to Jude, Jesus is going to present him to the Father without spot or blemish. Perfect in Christ. This is a place of suffering, the place of the skull, the place where sinners come. In Luke 5, it says that the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered him, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 53, they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. It's the purpose of God being accomplished but listen this is for sinners the gospel is good news for sinners it's not good news if you're not a sinner you cannot receive any good news if you're not a sinner because you don't think you need it you're pretty sure that you're fine just like you are the gospel is good news for those who recognize their sin their need of a savior the good news is jesus christ has bore my sin at Calvary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only, only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. There is life in Christ for all who believe. Deliverance from our horrors, from all who believe. Now you need to understand the biblical comprehension of deliverance. Deliverance doesn't mean I don't have to go through anything. Deliverance means I don't have to be afraid of it. That's why the early church could gather, huddle up in, a, in an auditorium with the crowd, the madness of the crowd screaming, Loose the wild beasts so that they can come and tear apart women and children and men with nothing they could do about it. What are you going to do against a lion? You're not going to do nothing. And those Christians would gather together totally 
trusting in Christ, knowing that in moments, in mere moments, I'm going to see my Savior's face. So they were delivered from the horrors of martyrdom by Jesus Christ. That does not mean they did not endure being eaten by lions. It means they were delivered. See, death has no claim on them. When they die, where do they go? Absent from the body is to be? So they stand before Jesus Christ, who is their propitiation. He is their sin sacrifice. So they stand before God, the Father, and Jesus introduces them. This is Jackie. Without spot and blemish. I know I'm a sinner. I know I mess up. I'm broken, but Christ bore my sin so that he could cover me with his righteousness. So I don't have to be afraid. 1 Corinthians 15, it's the whole point of that chapter. Death, where's your sting? The sting of death was sin, the fear of judgment, standing before God, being judged, cast into outer darkness, thrown into hell, whatever the case might be. But he said, there's no sting in death anymore. Christ paid the price so that we could stand without fear because we put our fears on Christ because he took it for me. He endured the horrors of man so he could say to me, you can do it. You can endure. You can overcome. You don't have to be afraid. Because no one has authority over you as a believer but God. And whatever God calls you to walk in or through, He promises the power to do it. You may sit there and say, if a lion's coming at me, or a lion's coming at one of my children, or one of my grandchildren, there's no greater feeling of powerlessness. What are you going to do? How will you save them? How will you stop the horrors of life from affecting your children? How will you do it? How will you stop them from affecting your grandchildren? You have to deliver them through Jesus Christ. There's a man in India found Jesus. And he wrote a song. A lot of people sing it still today. It goes like this. I have decided to follow Jesus. You guys know the song, right? You know, that song is birthed in the martyrdom of he and his entire family. First, if they want to change you, they're going to they're going to start with your kids cuz hey, well, I'm going to I'll make you deny Christ. I'm going to kill your children. And he said, "I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back." And then his wife. And he said, "I have decided to follow Jesus." And then him. Now, I'm sure the legend has grown ever since. But the point is, the ability to overcome the horrors of this life is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not from some plan you got in your head. 
or some way. I don't care how many guns you carry. I don't care how many bullets you have. You're not going to be able to deliver everybody from the hands of evil men. Christ does that. Not your plans. Christ does that. He is our deliverer. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds we have been healed. Verse 19, Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read the inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. It was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather he said he was the king of the Jews. By the way, all that does is change the acrostic. Do not write this, write that. Pilate said, What I have written, I have written. The Bible tells in Revelation 19, verse 16, when Jesus Christ returns, says, On his robe and thigh he has a name written. King of kings, Lord of lords. He is the king. Verse 23, it says, Now when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garment, divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, one piece from top to bottom. So they said, let's not tear it, but they cast lots. Didn't we just read that earlier today? They cast lots for his clothing. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. He said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. John watched over Mary until the end of his life. John and Mary are both, there are, are graves for John and Mary in the ancient ruins of Ephesus. That's where they died. John watched over. The, one of the final things Jesus does is make sure his mother is taken care of because that was the responsibility of the firstborn son. He didn't turn her over to his brothers or the other parts of the family. He turned her over to a disciple. Behold your mother. Behold your son. Do you think Mary sitting at the foot of the cross was filled with horror? Do you think a sword pierced her own soul like the prophets had uttered earlier? Do you think she was afraid? But Jesus had a plan and a purpose for her, right? He had someone to watch over her and keep her. He took care of her. After this, Scripture says, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. So a jar full of sour wine stood there, and they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. 
It is accomplished, paid in full. He makes the declaration and he bowed his head and he surrendered his spirit. Jesus said, no one takes my life, I give it. Psalm 69, 21, it says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. A climax of redemption is taking place. Jesus prayed in John 17, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you have given me to do. And then he surrendered his spirit to the Father. In Luke 23, 46, it says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice. So I want you to understand, when Jesus says this, not a whisper. He shouts out. This is a shout of victory. This is not a shout of defeat. This is not a cry of agony. In Luke 23, 46, Jesus shouted out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and breathed his last. It is a proclamation of victory. It is finished, accomplished, done. And he will lie in the grave for three days. He will rise in the morning of the third day so that you and I know he has the victory he proclaimed. Because he is risen, we know that we will rise. If you would just close up your Bibles for a minute and just close your eyes and meditate for a moment. I'm going to read our final scripture of the morning. Isaiah 53, and I just want you to hear the foreknowledge and plan of God in bearing the sin of man upon the cross and delivering us to life. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For that which was not has not been told them they see. That which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we would desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was hated. And we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep that before it shears is silent so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living? stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man at his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted as righteous. He shall bear their iniquity. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressor. Father God, preordained purposes of God laid out at the foundation of the world the, the word of God declares that Jesus Christ was crucified from the foundation of the world this was always your purpose to redeem your creation for now they are twice yours once you created them and then you redeemed them. So for as many as will call on your name, he, Jesus Christ, has given power to be declared the children of God, part of the family. It's a family that the world wants to destroy. All symbols of it, all likenesses in it to declare good as evil and evil as good.
but Jesus Christ died to redeem it. He took the horrors and the fears, the worst that man could do upon himself so that he could proclaim the words of victory. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So that when everyone comes to faith in Christ, in one way or another, we make the same proclamation. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I am yours. You are mine. The Bible is wrought with the prophets making the declaration, then I will be your God and you shall be my people. As we stand on holy ground concerning the atonement of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. I pray that each one here today, burdened by their fear, by their wrath, by whatever burdens we come in, I pray, Lord, that we would take those burdens and lay them at the cross Jesus died for those. He died so that you would lay your fear there. He died so that you would lay your wrath there. He died so that you would lay your life there. He died so that you could stand empowered by his spirit to be men and women who can change the people around them, can change the world. Everywhere around us, there is destruction and hatred and wrath and clamor, which is exactly what Jesus said would come in the last day. And God's people can't be part of that number. We are sinners saved by grace. We have laid those rights down at the foot of the cross. And we with our great God and Savior make the proclamation of victory. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I live for you. I die for you. I worship for you. I work for you. I want to honor you in what I say and do. I want to walk in your wisdom and I want to serve in your power so that on the day of accounting, when I see your face, I might hear well done, good and faithful servant. Because I trusted in Christ. I hoped in Christ. I laid my fears down at Christ. And I am walking in the victory of Christ. 
God be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name.